Welcome to This Week in MTG with your hosts, Matt Olson, Danny Oakstead, and Big G. Hello, Magic Folk, and welcome to This Week in MTG, your aggregate news podcast for all things Magic the Gathering. This ain't your normal episode, but this is a special interview episode that we got with the... I think uh, uh, like the upcoming Prince of Punk for Magic the Gathering, Parker. Prince of Punk. Thank you, thank you, Matt. Uh, great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. Uh, I am. I'm, I've been very excited for this since you first reached out, and I know. Uh, I, I don't know if you've listened to anything that we've done before, but we are big music fans here at this week in MTG. Uh, I got you in contact with Jason Ashcraft, and he's a power metal. Uh, magic player and stuff and i was super excited to get the chance to like interview him a year and a half ago now already and stuff so it was just like cool to cross uh love of music and magic the gathering because i've said it before but like music and magic is it it goes hand in hand as we were seeing now further on with like the incorporation of post malone into magic as well like that, would, that that would be maybe then like an exception to the rule because he's not really playing music. He has his music and he plays magic. Uh, where where you know Parker and various other artists like Jason make songs about magic. Very very fair. That is a very fair point there. Because yes, uh, as we're going to jump into, this is all about magic, and uh, I love I love the I love the album that you have. Uh, I'm excited for when it releases here. So uh, let's just jump into this, Parker. Oh, hold on. Before we jump, we got we got Garrett here. We got Danny here as well. Yes. And uh, it's the, the whole shindig. <laughs> Good thing we didn't make the how far in, how far into the interview he gets sidetracked bet again. Right. I, I'm staying on track, though. I just almost forgot are you, to... Are you, though? Park, Parker, so, so, you, you want to place money on this just, one, Matt? Just for just for back history, the last time we had an interview, it took him oh, zero, was, it took him zero was, seconds to get off, side, off, off on a side tangent <laughs> before we could actually get started with this interview. I was, I was perfect. I like to talk. I'm really sorry, Parker. <laughs> Gladly, please. If if at any point you're just like, okay, it's too much, just tell me, shut the fuck up. I understand. I know my limits. I am not. I am not. Uh, <laughs> I am not offended by getting told you talk too much. We need like a dog clicker just to get you back on topic. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, Parker, take it away. Who are you, and what are what are you doing? Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, so my name is is Parker Schaffel. Um, I uh, am a, a side thing of what I do is I am a musician. Um, and if anybody could see my basement where we are currently recording this, you'll see a number of guitars, bass guitar, drum set, uh, you know, studio kind of set up down here. And I play all the instruments. And about a year ago, uh, I created a new music project called Everything Sideways. And I had previously, I'd done my own music under a different name and had a different theme to it. And I wanted to start playing punk that I thought was just more fun and could really be written about anything. So I released my first four song EP called Eh, Could Be Better, because honestly, I thought it could have been better, but I thought it was good enough. And um, it turns out that I had some like real bangers on that. And, uh, you know, writing the new kind of style of punk and writing the lyrics that I was doing uh, really resonated with people. And it found that people were, you know, hitting on my Bandcamp page and 
you know, buying t-shirts and CDs and digital downloads. And I was like, okay, it just kind of gives you motivation to keep going. So I released another three song uh, EP earlier this year. And I can tell you a story about this later, but I, I, I wrote a song for a, a very small niche group and it, re it really went viral in this group. And I thought to myself, you know, there's another group of people that I know a lot of and it turned out to be the Magic the Gathering community. And I didn't really know about a lot of music that was about magic or playing the game or the things that went along with it. So I decided that I was going to write an eight song full album, uh, you know, eight punk songs about playing magic. And that's what is coming out um, on Tuesday, October 18th, I guess by the time this airs, uh, it, it will be out. Um, so the album is called Planeswalker Punk. And I've got songs on there uh, about, you know, a song called One Versus Three about playing a commander game and like what it's like to go up against three people and kind of using some, uh, you know, visual imagery from a, a one versus three battle and what that would be like. There's a song called song called Planeswalker Punk. It's like an it's like an anthem for magic players, right? I start off the song. This is a song for all of those who felt they've been wronged just for playing a game they've loved so long, right? A lot of magic players maybe feel ostracized from their communities or maybe uh, you know, neglected by others because they like fantasy stuff. Um, and I wanted to write a song for them, something they could really get behind that they kind of energize them saying, do your thing, right? Have fun. This is that's why we play this. Uh, other songs about Magic Fest and a true story about the very first Mox Pearl I ever had in 1996. And, you know, I have no idea what I did with it, but that was a, a special thing. And so I just I just kept writing more and more songs and it really clicked. Um, so I'm incredibly excited for this. I think this is the best music I've ever done. Um, I can tell you that I've actually been in, in vocal lessons uh, with a, a vocal teacher for a year to really get my singing up. And even my vocal teacher said, this is the best uh, vocals I've ever done. Uh, the guitars are on point. Like I just, I'm really excited about this. And I don't know of any punk music about magic. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Jason uh, Ashcraft with, uh, you know, the, the Planeswalker with, uh, with his power metal, but I haven't heard any punk music. So I'm really hoping that this is something that resonates with the magic community. Uh, people really enjoy. And, and if they do, I'll just, I'll keep doing more. I am definitely excited for this album, for more people to hear it. Uh, because I'm a big punk fan at heart. I grew up like uh, my first, I was uh, Bowling for Soup that evolved into like Blink-182 and then started getting into the older stuff, Bad Religion. And if I'm not mistaken, like the way that you describe everything sideways is uh, Bad, Bad Religion, Offspring, Blink-182 in your uh, description for, for everything sideways. Is like yeah, it, so that's kind of just the music that I think that I write best. Right. Um, you know, I, I started off as a, as a metalhead when I was a kid, right. I remember seeing enter Sandman video from Metallica on MTV. And like, that was that, that blew my mind or whatever it was I needed to be a part of that. Um, but as I've started to write music and, and I mean, I listen, I'm the lead singer in a Slayer cover band here in the DC area, what? but when it comes to writing my own music, I, I can only write punk. I've tried writing metal and it is garbage. Uh, so, you know, when I look at some of my, my punk influences, when I really got into punk music in the mid nineties, it was bad religion, uh, rancid Pennywise, no effects. And, and, you know, blink came out, um, offspring. So when I 
and and when you listen to music in kind of your your younger years, that's some of the most formative times of your life, and that's just what I kind of evoke when I write my music. So, uh, when people tell me that my music sounds like a mix between Bad Religion and Pennywise, or Bad Religion and Offspring, or this song sounds like it could be on a Blink One Eighty Two album, it's it's incredibly humbling to know that you know I could even be compared to something like that because of the greatness that those bands are. So, those are a lot of my influences, and I think that that comes out in in how my music sounds. And boy, howdy, uh, the all of them, all of them are such uh, slap bangers, and I'm sorry, I'm very excited. About he's fa- he's fangirling. I do this. A he lot. does that a lot. I do it a lot. Talking talking to people, and especially like music, because again, talking music is super. I don't know. It's 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 at home for me to do, and then talking to other people who are just as enthusiastic about listening to music, making music, producing music. You know, you just kind of like feed off of that energy, and you definitely seem like you are very. Uh, energized by making this uh, everything sideways Planeswalker punk album. Yeah, and and if you think about it, like th- I think there's not to get like too lofty here, but there's kind of like three things that can really drive success in doing something. There is a need, the ability, and passion. And you know, I I have the ability to play music and and play guitar, bass, and drums, and sing. I there I felt like there was a need to create music about this topic about magic and playing it and, and just to be clear like I don't you know Jason and his group like they write about kind of the lore the storytelling side of magic I decided not to get into that I just decided to just write about playing the game and having fun with you know, like the song Saturday Night Magic it's just about hanging out with your 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 bros and your gals on Saturday night and just cracking some packs and drinking beers and, and doing a draft together, right? This, the song about, you know, the magic blues is like blue is hard to play and I get the blues from playing blue, right? It's kind of <laughs> cheesy, but, you know, it's true. So I felt like there was a need for some of that. And then when you have all that and then you have a passion behind it, that's really when great stuff comes from it. And even if people tell me that, you know, hey, dude, you, you tried this Planeswalker punk album. Yeah, it's okay. Or it sucks or whatever. I'm going to be proud of it because one of the most difficult yet satisfying things I've ever done is written, produced and distributed my own music. Uh, because it's something that with the internet age will always be around like until the end of mankind, my music is going to be out there for maybe some kid to discover, you know, 10, 20, a hundred, 200 years from now, and and maybe that kid is still a magic player and maybe that kid has felt ostracized from society or or neglected from friend groups because because he plays magic or because he has long hair or because you know he he thinks or speaks in a certain way and he listens to the song planeswalker punk and said this is a song for all of those who felt they've been wronged just for playing a game they've loved so long right and, and if if that kid if that 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 boy that girl gets gets excited by that I mean, that's one of the things that 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 drives me that keeps the passion up um, is just hearing when somebody listens to a song that I've made and they say, holy shit, man, that that just that really resonated with me. It made me feel good. It gave me this this emotion. 
that's that's what music does and and that's what drives me to to make music even if i don't make money and i don't right like i pay a lot of money for my engineer who lives in france uh shout out to modern nihilism recordings mn recordings my boy tim is my engineer he makes my music sound like it does and he is a absolute wizard and you know that's why i pay him hundreds of dollars you know to to make my music even if i don't make that back because the enjoyment and the satisfaction that I get from hearing somebody listen and tell me that they like my music, or like I said before, that it sounds like bad religion or something means so much. And that's where a lot of that passion comes from. You, you definitely seem like an extremely passionate guy. And I want to put the, uh, the everything sideways, uh, questions here on the side here real quick to ask, to talk more about who you are as a person, because like I said, at the beginning of this, uh, when I was looking up about you, you do a lot of stuff and it is very awe-inspiring to see some of this stuff. And one of the things that you do is you volunteer for Sitter Arts Center since 2015 and you help kids learn how to play a bunch of different instruments and stuff. I watched the video that that's up there and I was just – tell about that, volunteering to help kids to learn to play music because uh, being, a, uh, being a music lover, I love the idea of you know getting kids – involved and want to get as excited about music you know as we are and keep that passion going absolutely so the the sitar art center in washington dc is a nonprofit art center that provides at-risk low-income youth uh with arts education for a very 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 low cost if not free and it's everything from musical arts to theater arts uh visual arts design photography really any arts program under the sun. A lot of schools cut them, especially when they're, if they don't have enough funding. Mm -hmm. So this provides not only the education in arts for them to get, but it also provides um, them a safe space, right? If these kids come from, from low income uh, houses, maybe they're, they're crime or, or gangs in their, in their area, this provides a safe space for them to be. So in late 2014, I get introduced to the Sitar Art Center and uh, I, I've been a part of it ever since. I started teaching uh, guitar classes and then I was teaching bass guitar classes. Uh, I taught group classes, single classes. And what I will tell you is one of the most, one of the, my favorite students I've ever had, he was in a group guitar class. He was playing uh, these kind of smaller, you know, six string guitars that we had. And he just had big hands. Um, he was a bigger kid when he was, when he was 14, he joined my class. And it was just hard for him to play the guitar. So I said, you know what? You can't put a, a kid like this in a position to fail. So I gave him a bass guitar and started teaching him bass. And, and to be honest, one of the first songs I taught him was Perfect People by Pennywise off the About Time album from 95. Oh, because yeah. it's got that cool opening bass line, right? And I thought it'd be fun for him to play that. It's kind of a little groovy, but but simple at the same time. And I gave him a bass guitar, I gave him an amplifier, and he came back the following week with blood blisters on his finger from playing it so much. And, and this was a, a kid who had a hood up, who was depressed, was not excited about life, didn't have a lot of friends. And I will tell you, I, I taught him for four years, and he is now the first person to go to school, to go to college in the United States in his family. He earned himself a four-year room and board and tuition scholarship to a fantastic university in the D.C. area, and now he wants to go to law school and be an immigration lawyer. And and I don't know what would have happened if the Sitar Art Center were not there for him, 
I'm just happy to have been there along the way and met him because that's what arts education can do. It can open up possibilities. It can change the way that 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 young people think and young people tap into energy and emotion that they have and gives them healthy ways to get it out. And I'm incredibly, you know, excited to be there every time. This semester, I've got three students. I've got a guitar, a bass, and a drummer. And you better believe, fellas, that we are going to, <laughs> at the end of this semester, all four of us are going to get on stage at the same time and play a song together because uh, it's going to be something really special. School so, of rock uh, all over that, again. That's the, that's the volunteering. Except for he's not lying about being who he is. True. So that That is true. That'll be even better. That's true. Dude, that is that is beautiful. Just hearing that, um, the the facts. Uh, we we interviewed another another uh, very awesome uh, child based uh, organization that that believes in helping kids in a way. It's called Magic Kids, and they help you know give kids supplies for Magic the Gathering and stuff. And they're like led by teachers. But just hearing the stories of uh, of teachers, volunteers, and stuff talking about improving kids' lives. Big G, he's a teacher. And that kind of shit where it's like you are working with a kid to, you know, to inspire them, give them passion for something, whatever kind of a feel. It's, it's, it's crazy to just like uh, think about it. It's like it, it can get like get rooted in simple things like this and just help help a kid. Yeah. And it gives them, like you said, it gives them passion. It gives them excitement. And, you know, one of the cool things that, that I think uh, is, is really incredible about music Right. You got to think there's thousands of languages in the world, spoken languages in the world. An E chord on a guitar is an E chord on a guitar in the United States, in Russia, in China, in El Salvador, in Zimbabwe, in Australia, in India. Right. Music truly is the international language. And, and no matter where these kids go in their lives, they're going to be able to pick up a guitar, a bass guitar, a, a, a trumpet, a, play a piano, whatever and be able to play with people from any culture in any corner of the earth. And that's one of the other things that I think is incredible about uh, mu particularly music education uh, for young people. Does uh, the Sitar Art Center have like donation uh, links and stuff to help support something like that? Because I feel like that's something that we could totally yeah. be. If, if anyone's interested, absolutely. If anyone's interested, sitarartcenter.org, S-I-T-A-R, artscenter.org you'll see a donate button in the top right corner literally anything that you can do uh to help um something as little as as twenty dollars you know can help get art supplies for a student can help you know get a, a memory card for a digital camera when we teach our photography classes and here's one thing that i'll tell you magic related to sitar Ooh. uh I play, uh, I used to play a, a lot more, not much anymore, but um, big fan of old school magic. So I have an old school deck uh, that's made up of a, a bunch of old cards and I got some some real bangers in there. Um, There's an old school uh, Discord group uh, called the OS Guildhouse that is kind of a member invite only group of all old school magic players. And I went to this group um, a few earlier, maybe about April this year, and I said, hey guys, the Sitar Art Center has a theater in their space, and um, we were doing a performance. And I, I just, I was trying to plug in with direct boxes into the soundboard, and we got it to work. But I recognized that their soundboard was really old. I'm talking like needle, you know, levels old. Oh shit! So we got to get this place. We got to get this place a new soundboard. So I went to this group. I said, "Hey guys, we're going to do um, a bunch of. I'm going to. I'm going to put this out. I want to try and raise a thousand dollars for a soundboard. My my contact at at Sweetwater had picked out a good board, it was about a thousand dollars. 
I said, I'm going to do, I'm going to sell some cards to, to the community here at a discount. And, um, you know, if anybody else wants to help, this is all going to go to the, to the art center, to Sitar. And I'll be damned three hours. This community had generated $2,250 in donations for the art center. These are people who put up their own old school magic cards for the community to purchase. And all of those, all of that money went to the donate page at Sitar. I was actually a GoFundMe page that I, I routed through Sitar. And when the staff woke up the next day, I had somebody on the phone crying saying, I cannot believe that you did this. So we're getting a new soundboard. We're going to have guitar students build their own pedal board with, with effects that they want to put in. We're going to get new guitars. We're going to get a new bait. We're going to get other stuff. And it's just because, you know, magic players, I think, especially the, this old school community that I know really appreciates and understands what the Sitar Art Center can do, what arts education can do, what these types of charities can do. So shout out to those guys for doing that. But like I said, any dollar amount helps. So if you're interested, sitarartscenter.org um, would really appreciate it. And uh, dear listeners, I'll make sure to put the links down below so that way you can just click on that. But holy shit, Parker, I think I think it's fair to say that we can we can get a label of just Parker legit badass for all this. <laughs> like, God damn. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. So uh, helping kids. And teaching them instruments is really fucking sweet uh, of a thing. But you also have a bit of a, a history working in uh, the Navy and the CIA. And you came out with a book called Get After It, uh, Seven Inspirational Stories About Your Life. About your life, correct? Yes, correct. You, you want to talk about that for a hot second here? Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Um so, uh, you know, I'm listen, right now I'm 38. Uh, I left government uh, when I was... Uh, 30, 35. So I worked at the Central Intelligence Agency for 13 years. I did a number of things. I was a military analyst. Um, I, I'd been in Afghanistan. I did a year in Iraq where I worked uh, with closely with the State Department. Um, I worked in internal communications. I worked in public affairs. worked in leadership development. And at the same time, I also was a Navy Reserve Intelligence Officer, uh, commissioned in 2009, got out in 17, and I deployed as a lieutenant to, uh, to the Middle East in, in 2013. And what I wanted to do was, you know, I had journaled a lot uh, throughout a lot of my, my late 20s and early 30s. And I just, I thought I had some really powerful stories that could really help people, uh, especially with the lessons that I had learned to help make sure that people don't make the same stupid mistakes that I did. So I took all of my journaling and I kind of funneled it down to seven of the most impactful stories on, on my life. And uh, it's everything from my seven-year struggle to commission uh, in the military. Long story short here is I was actually selected for pilot training in the United States Air Force when I was in ROTC. And I was actually discharged my senior year for having uh, a minor medical condition. And it was, it was came out of nowhere. Um, it was devastating. One of the worst days of my life, if not the worst day of my life, that I found out that news. But I never gave up. And I eventually found my way through the army and then into the Navy. And I commissioned, um, you know, three years after I was supposed to, but it was still such an incredible moment to, to have accomplished that. So that's one chapter. Another chapter is about actually me being in Afghanistan with the CIA and just being an absolute ignorant, arrogant asshole. 
Uh, I was in Afghanistan when I was barely uh, 24 years old. I should not have been there. I was way too immature and I caused a lot of problems. But in the book, I tell that story. I tell the story about what I did and the problems I caused, but I also reflected and said, you know, this is why I did what I did, but I recognize now it was wrong. And if you're reading the story, like, you know, don't, don't be an idiot. You know, you got to have self-awareness. You got to treat people with respect. You got to put in hard work, right? You know, long-term relationships are not built by making short-term, you know, jokes to, to other people about others. There's uh, another story in there uh, about the, uh, this impact that a football coach had in my life. You know, he called me a practice player in front of my entire team and I was devastated. And the problem was, is that he was right. So when I actually went to free fall training, uh, parachute school with the Air Force at the, the Air Force Academy in Colorado, um, I had made a number of skydives and I actually failed one. And I kind of had this epiphany. I said, are you a practice player or are you going to do this? Are you going to successfully jump out of these planes and make sure that you get your wings pinned? Or are you going to go back to your unit? Everybody knows that you went to jump school, but you didn't get your wings. What happened? And in that moment, I decided that you needed to be three things, motivated, prepared, and confident. If you're motivated, prepared, and confident, you could do anything. And I knew that I'd had the training. I was prepared. I was motivated. I wanted to be there. I just had to believe in heart and mind that I was confident that I could do this. My next jump, I jumped out. I had a great jump, did my fifth jump, and my wings were pinned. And that was such a pivotal moment. So long story short here, I took seven of those most incredible stories from my life put lessons learned in them and, and wrote a book and uh, self-published it. Um, I called it get after it. Cause that's kind of this motto I have in life. I tell everybody like, let's, let's go, let's, let's get after it. That's what I just kind of how I go with my music and other things that I do in life. Um, even tell my young kids that, right. Let's, let's, let's get after it. And, uh, subtitle, you know, seven inspirational stories to find your inner strength when it matters most. And that's what I think those, those stories are really about. So, uh, it's on Amazon, it's on, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble, you can get paperbacks, eBooks, um, get after it, seven inspirational stories to find your inner strength when it matters most. Um, and I, if y'all check it out, you know, I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's, it's helpful to you. Um, um, like, like I said, again, like looking into you before before this interview, like you have done so much in the fact that you, you, you got a band, you have a book that talks about your your uh, life experiences that you've had. Shit just blows my mind because, you know, I'm just a, a schmuck from North Dakota that's, you know, <laughs> talks magic on, a, on the Internet and stuff, essentially. So that's it's 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 pretty cool, though. Uh, I, I listened to a couple of your other episodes and, and you guys really dig deep and, and you provide a lot of value from from like the magic playing perspective shit that I couldn't do myself. So um, don't don't sell yourself short on that. Well, there's no need to be <clears throat> ta- talking up like that. Hey, or anything. hey, Matt, shut up, Matt. Let someone fangirl over us for once. Fair. He's saying we're doing a good job. That means we got to keep doing it. Okay. Just because oh, yeah. we're from well, the Midwest, we can't take a compliment. You just need to learn to take them. <laughs> I struggle with that sometimes. Yeah, we know. <laughs> well, Parker, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a few of these questions away from Matt here, um, sure. just because I know mine. I think Matt knows his, and I even think Danny has his. But what is your best concert experience? Whether it's being uh, a participant in the crowd or getting to play in front of others, which one is your best? Um, can, can I give you one of each? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, so I think my, my best concert experience, uh, was Ozfest 99 black Sabbath was the headliner. 
Slayer, Godsmack, Fear Factory was was the headliner on the main stage. Um, it was just, it, it was it was a pivotal. It was like the first big concert I had ever been to. I think I'd been to maybe one concert before that, some sort of like chili cook-off or something where they had a stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was something that really made me just love live music. And, and and I'd been into Slayer for several years by then and seeing them like playing Angel of Death when I was 19. I mean, I was barely 14, 15 years old. Uh, you know, that was just, I'll never forget, you know, watching Tom Araya <laughs> get on stage. And, yeah! that scream right so and seeing black sabbath right and seeing ozzy for the first time was was really something special um and then my i think my 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 most memorable live experience was actually i i started a band when i was at the u.s embassy in baghdad and uh we call the band american metal conspiracy and we did that because there were uh, some Iraqi politicians who had said that that they thought that heavy metal music was a conspiracy brought over by Americans for the purpose of corrupting Iraqi youth. And Iraqi youth are, are just like any other youth, right? They like different things. They like different styles of music. And there were a, a bunch of kids who were actually, this is sad to say, were actually getting killed um, in extrajudicial killings because they listened to heavy metal music. And we thought it would be kind of in in uh, a, a memorial and in, in in honor of them to name it, name our band American metal conspiracy. And we played some shows out there and, um, played a variety of music, everything from ACDC to Metallica, to Godsmack, to Mudvayne offspring. And there was just one, the ha- the second half of the show, we had people come up and were headbanging in front of the stage. And I just remember thinking to myself, I cannot believe that somebody is coming up and enjoying music that I'm playing so much. It just it it just messes with your mind. You say this this can't be real. I'm in Iraq, I'm in Baghdad. I'm I'm playing like a Godsmack song right now, and this dude is just whipping his head around, like dude, your neck's gonna fall off. He's banging his head so much, <laughs> and and that was so pivotal to me because it was at that moment I'd never been in a band before, and when I came back. And this is actually one of the stories in my book. I came back to the DC area and I immediately went on on Craigslist and I started looking for bands to play in. And I met some guys and we formed a, a, a thrash metal cover band that we called Death Echo and we played all the big four thrash bands. And then we decided to rename and just focus on, on Slayer. We called ourselves Spirit in Black. And as I was doing that, that led to me actually starting to write my own music. So here we are now everything sideways planeswalker punk album coming out and i attribute all of that musical creation and and the leap that i made to write my own music from that moment of playing that song at the u.s embassy in baghdad iraq in june of 2012 that is fucking wild man i can't i can't even imagine it's uh it definitely blows my mind that over in iraq the fact that they're like Heavy metal music is, is is the conspiracy and shit. Like that, I don't know. Like maybe this is more of a, a little bit of a personal question. But playing there, playing metal music there, was there like some worry for yourself? Like at that point, like were there gonna be like Iraqi militants coming in and be like, ah, oh, they're playing metal. Like gotta gotta shut them down. It's a it's a good question. I mean, we were our our embassy was very very secure, very closed off uh, within the green zone in in the downtown Baghdad area. So we weren't worried about people coming in. But 
you know, I can tell you uh, we had uh, a situation come in where we actually brought in a bunch of Iraqi youth to the embassy for a musical experience. There was a, a kind of small mid-level uh, rock band that the, the embassy had contacted back in the United States and actually brought them over and they put on a performance and talked about what it was like be a touring band in the United States and, and what it was like to play music. And a lot of these kids, there was a kind of like a metal contingent of these kids. And the embassy staff reminded everybody, do not take pictures with these kids. Do not post it on social media because there will be repercussions for these kids. So it was real and it was really sad because these kids were coming in with Metallica shirts and Guns N' Roses shirts. And they just, you know, my a friend of mine had had brought over, you know, his Epiphone Les Paul. And these kids were like, oh, my God, a Les Paul. Like, this is, I can't believe you had one. Can I hold it? And all they wanted to do is take pictures with it and play it. And it just goes to show that that metal is metal and, and punk is punk and rock is rock and all these types of music, they 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 cross international boundaries freely and, and people are going to like what they like. So just playing that was was special for us, um, just as kind of paying some some homage, some homage to, to these kids that we know had been, you know, in many cases brutalized just for listening to it. Um, and I still think about those kids that I met at the embassy today. Uh, just hoping that, you know, now they're in, you know, Iraq becomes a, a more free and more free society each day and just hope that they're able to, to live to their potential and, and maybe they form some bands just based on on what we did. Um, so it's still something special I think about. But but like I said, it it all led up to me creating the music that I, I am today. So I'm very grateful for that experience. Seems like a very pivotal block in your music career there. Like that's some life, that's some life changing shit right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I literally would not be here talking with you all right now if I had not had that band experience in Iraq and gotten the confidence to play in front of other front of other people that then came back, came with this band that I'm with now that I've been with for 10 years that led me to writing my own music that led me to writing about magic, you know, and coming up with an album called Planeswalker Punk. And that's why we're here today. So it, it, it really is a succession of events and a sequence of events like that. So I'm actually guessing that we've already answered this question, but what's your favorite musical artist? Uh, if I'm going, I'm going punk, it's, it's bad religion. Okay. Uh, they, I think, just have such an iconic sound. The, the intellectualism behind it like blows my mind. I don't know half the words that Greg Raffin uses. <laughs> Uh, when he writes the lyrics, but just the energy of the songs, the, the, the timelessness of them, you know, it, it just, it's incredible what they've done and, and they've been a huge influence on me, on me musically. Um, I will say in the metal world, I, I think it's, I think it's Slayer as much as I grew up on Metallica, the, 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 which, which is timeless in and of itself slayers music takes me to another level it just i have like out of body experiences when i listen to slayer if i'm if i'm pissed off and i need to get energy out i will sit right here behind me and i will sit and i will play disciple on drums and i'll be okay after that oh yeah it's, it's good there's to have, there's no other band that can do that for me it's good to have a band that gets you rooted like that to you know like everything's okay and then just getting this getting slayer letting a B slayer just really just like really cements all yeah. that yeah and, and that's right music is an outlet music is in many cases is an inlet as well but it's it's also an outlet and and it gets 
those emotions out for you that in many cases you can't get out on your own verbally, you know, thoughtfully, intellectually, it does it for you. And, and, you know, all I can know is that I can listen to Slayer, Lamb of God, you know, some of my favorites and just listen to it and I'll feel better afterwards, you know, no matter what. Dude, Lamb of God, they, they fucking slap. I've, I've seen them live. They put on such a great fucking show. Right. Uh, quick, quick, uh, more, uh, cur- current event ish. Uh, since you're a big punk fan as well, did you hear that Fat Mike is opening up a punk rock museum in Las Vegas in 2023, and it's getting help with uh, Rise Against Pennywise, and I think Bad Religion was in there as well. They're they're just bringing all this punk memorabilia and stuff and putting it on the strip, and I'm like, I gotta fucking go to Vegas for this shit now. Absolutely, absolutely, you're t- <laughs> you're spot on with that. Um, I I. I don't know if I'll be able to take a trip solely for that. Hopefully I can like grab a couple of days with my wife and go to Vegas and, and, and at least spend like a whole day there. Uh, but kudos to fat Mike for doing that. It is incredible for, for the scene. Um, it's something that I think is, is long overdue. Um, and, and I think it's the perfect time, uh, to do it, uh, you know, as, as kind of no effects starts to sunset, bad religion, Pennywise, like those iconic punk bands, of the nineties are starting to sunset. And this is, I think a great next step, uh, for them to do that. Dude. I, I really want to see no effects on their, uh, their last tour, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And listen, actually on, uh, on Monday night, uh, the uh, 17th, I'm going to go see me first in the gimme gimme's at a, a venue uh, here in the DC area. So nice. I'll be, uh, I'll be seeing fat Mike. Uh, dude. I'll see if I can yell to him and say, good job on the punk rock museum, dude. Good job. Dude, they were just at uh, they were just at the Varsity Theater in Minneapolis three weeks ago. We were there the day before they went on because my wife is a big fan of Enter Shikari, and so we went and saw Enter Shikari. But uh, that's when I saw that me first and the Gimme Gives were going to be playing there. I'm like, what? Honey, yeah. we're staying an extra day. Uh, <laughs> man, I wish it was. A, it was a Wednesday. It was or it was a Tuesday when the concert was, and we drove down. It's a four-hour drive from Fargo to the cities, and we had to work the next. I had to work the next day. Of course, Maddie of course. was smart enough to take the day off. And stuff. Of so sacrifices must be made. Yeah. So we went for Andrew Shikari. I'm like, dude, I would love. I would love me first in the Gimme Games, but they were playing the next day. I was. I was this close. Yeah. Yeah. I'll. I'll let you guys know uh, how it goes. I, I plan on oh, checking yeah. it out. So I'm excited. All right, Parker. So I'm guessing because you, I'm guessing you listen to more than punk and more than metal. So thinking outside of rock, if you could make a punk cover of any song, what would it be? That's a great, great question. I'm going to answer that question halfway by saying that I have done a death metal version of the song "Sorry" by Justin Bieber. Ah, yes, I'm in. <laughs> I'm fucking in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and here's here's even a, a funnier part about that. I actually played it at the CIA's talent show, and I won the talent show. <laughs> this just goes Hell to yeah. show you the CIA has some fucking badass metalheads in there. Right? <laughs> now, I will be I will be clear. I will be clear about something. The CIA's talent show was won by the number of donations that particular performances got. So, in a sense. You could buy your own win by donating enough money. Okay, okay. Did I? I can neither confirm nor deny that. But what I will tell you <laughs> is that I won the talent show that day, and I held up the award for winning for playing a death metal version of a Justin Bieber song at uh, at the CIA headquarters uh, on that day. Um, but here's something that I would really like to do 
if possible. I don't know if I can actually get this done musically. Um, but outside of um, punk and metal, uh, one of my, a couple of my favorite artists, 311, love 311, yes. always have, always will, and Bone Thugs and Harmony. If I could turn, 311's got a little bit of a punk vibe sometimes in some of the stuff they do, but if I could turn a Bone Thugs and Harmony song into a punk song, I think that would be like, that'd be the shit if I could do that. Especially if I could do the lyrics as they've written them, right? Because they're just, they're so lyrically, you know, and, and the way that they, they spit the, the, the lyrics, it's, it's just nuts, right? So I think that would be super cool. What, what do you think? Well, I'm all I got to say is I'm ready for it whenever you release it. So make sure to get it out there. <laughs> and the main reason that qu- I wrote that question is because there's been a lot of like those of us who grew up in punk are now playing music and they're finding random cover. I'm finding random covers of songs in a punk version. And I'm like, this shouldn't work, but it does. OK, so you the, the question was, what what song would I do? Uh on my last EP that I released called Pissin' on Italy, I have a song that I covered, the old coaster song called Yakety Yak. <laughs> and I did a punk version of it, and I think it works. I think it works. If you want to check it out, you know, it's on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, whatever. The The album is, uh, the EP is called Pissin' on Italy. Um, there's a backstory to, to that, but there is a, <laughs> a punk version of the coaster song, Yakety Yak, Don't Talk Back. Hell yeah. Ah, I'm in. With, with, with Pissing Out Italy, was that the album that was made for that subsect that you were talking about, that that niche group there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's three songs on there. There's a, a song called Napoli Catastrophe, which tells the story about this insane night that I had in, in Naples, Italy, and just why I have this absolute disdain for Italy as a country. <laughs> um, but the third, al- the third song on that album uh, is a song called Live and Let Pee. And you might be like, uh, like, like pee, like, like pee, 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 pee. Yeah. Like, like pissing. And, uh, the reason I wrote that song is, uh, I'll try and make the story really short. Cause it's, it's a little bit wild. Uh, we can definitely go down some rabbit holes. Uh, one of the ways I've tried to share my music is just on Twitter, right? If somebody's talking about punk music, I'll respond and say, Hey, here's some punk to check out. I'll send them a link to my Spotify page. And I happen to tweet a response to somebody who is in the ABDL community. So it's adult baby diaper lovers. And these are adults who who choose to wear diapers by choice. And I thought, I don't give a shit what you do, right? It's your thing. Just here's some music to listen to. And it turns out that they actually like really liked my music. And it was kind of going viral in their community. And I decided that, you know, it's kind of a thank you for getting so many followers on my Spotify page or people were like, buying my music and everything on my Bandcamp page, which it was just really nice. I decided to write a song kind of in support of them called live and let pee. And, um, so that's why I titled the, the EP pissing on Italy. Cause it kind of combines those two songs. And then the third song is the, the yakety yak, uh, cover. So, okay. So, so again, when I was looking you up and stuff, I saw pissing on Italy and I'm like, that is very provocative. I wonder if it has some sort of meaning. And then when I looked further, I'm like, yeah. oh, it's for the community. It's for this community. I was blown away that that was, yeah. F- oh, was, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you got, you got a wild, a wild, like story of everything that has happened to your life. And I, I kid you not, you can, you can ask my wife, you can ask Gary and then, but I was, ex- I've been excited to talk to you since you, you first well, reached I, out. I appreciate that. Again, I'm really grateful that for you guys having me and, 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 you know, like I said, you know, to kind of, you know, tie it all together, 
the 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 ABDL community, you know, that was a niche group that really liked my music. And I thought, like, you know, you're trying to find your way when you're an artist, and like, how can I do something that's unique that that hasn't been done before? And I thought, holy shit, what if I did a punk album about magic? And and I talked to people. I said, have you ever heard any magic music? They're like, no. Like we all just listen to, you know power metal and you know punk and metal and whatever i was like i'm gonna make an album a punk album about magic and i think that there's 25 million fucking magic players in the world and i think that maybe a few of them might listen to it (laughs) and that would be the coolest thing so that's that's where i came up with the idea for for planeswalker punk well, that, that 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 would be a good transition into the next part here because we're I was gonna we're gonna talk more about uh, everything sideways and one of the questions was uh, everything sideways. How did you decide to start the project? And that was kind of the 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 epitome or the uh, the epiphany of starting everything sideways. So everything sideways uh, started about a year ago um, when I wanted to do new music. Um, I had done a a previous uh, solo project called Truth Assassin which was uh, political punk. And I wanted to get away from the political stuff. Um, and I just wanted to do kind of fun, like like skate punk. Uh, like I said, like Bad Religion, Offspring, maybe like Early Blink. And just have be able to write songs about whatever I wanted. So I put together a four-song EP, um, like I said, called, you know, eh, Could Be Better, and released that uh, in November of, of last year. Like I said, as I was promoting that, I did the Pissing on Italy EP. And then after that, you know, I started writing more music in like May of this year. And that's when I decided I was going to do uh, a Magic, uh, the Gathering focused album um, where I could do something about magic. I could do another album that's not about magic. I could do whatever I wanted. That was kind of the the genius behind everything sideways that's that's not doesn't have a a political niche or something i could do it about whatever i wanted but what i'll tell you is as i was coming up with the name of what i wanted my new album to be i thought of the name i wanted something that was a little bit it's kind of like goofy right gave across the vibe of this is just a punk band about whatever right i didn't want it to be called you know something like you know magic themed or or totally skate themed or something. I wanted just kind of a generic name, but something that had some meaning. So the name everything sideways came from when my experience playing magic, because, you know, some people, when you're, when you're playing the game, some people say, Oh, I'm swing, swing with all or whatever. Right. When they're attacking, I say everything sideways, right. Tapping out, right. Everything is sideways. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, everything sideways, like that's kind of a cool name go with for a punk band that is going to have like a little bit of a goofy sense to it and and i decided to go with with that name so now that i'm coming out with an album called planeswalker punk the name everything sideways is actually magic related as well because when i attack with everything i just turn everything sideways and that's what i tell my opponent everything sideways (laughs) you know you figure out the blocks dude (laughs) Okay, okay. This is something that just popped up into my head right now. How often in normal life when you're just having a conversation with somebody and you just say something, are you like, oh, that would be a good, uh, that would be like a good band name. Uh, example, I was telling Danny this earlier, my cat, uh, like 
I, like my cat is very cat-like and we have a dog that likes to try and provoke the cat. But this time the dog did not provoke the cat, but the attack, but the cat came and attacked the dog. And I was telling my wife, it's like, Oh, look at all those kitty punches. And I'm like, that'd be a good metal band name, kitty punches and stuff. So like, how often do you, do do you do that kind of thing? Like you're just in a conversation, like that's a good fucking band name. Dude. I think, so I think my two favorite, like, whether they're true or not, I don't care because they're awesome stories of how bands got their name. Red Jumpsuit Apparatus and Sick Puppies. So Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, the story is they just, every person in the band and the and their crew wrote down words because they were at their first show and they didn't have a name. And they just wrote down a word and they threw them in a hat and they pulled them out, three of them out. And so obviously Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. And they're like, all right, there we go. Cool. That's our name. Go out. The other one is Sick Puppies, and they said it, so I believe this one a lot more. But at the same time, they could just be blowing smoke everyone up everyone's ass. They were practicing one day, and they're from Australia, so they're you know, practicing in their garage or whatever. And a, a sick dog walks by the open garage, and one of the guys goes, oh, man, it's a sick puppy. <laughs> and they're like, hey, cool, that, that's her fucking name. All right, cool, let's go. I did not know that. Like, like I said, whether they're true or not, don't even care. They're awesome <laughs> stories. But yeah, just that whole that whole shake of a conversation, come up with a name. There's so many people that do that. So are, are you one of those? So I, what I'll tell you is not so much on the band name piece. Like, I, honestly, I think any, almost any magic card out there would be like a sweet metal band name. Like, that's just, you know, like. Blight Steel Colossus, like that's a that's a badass metal band name, right? Dude, there. Yes, yes, uh, it would be. What I what I typically do is, um, I will look at various experiences and I'll think if I can write a song about it. Okay, you know, like riding. Like I was I was riding the bus recently, and there was something that happened. Like just write a song. Like there was kind of like a little scuffle that broke out on the bus, and I was like, "Bus fight, that's a song." Oh <laughs> shit. Absolutely. Right. Like that would be a pretty chaotic song, but that would be that would be fun. You know, so I just I find that that kind of songwriting inspiration uh, in in a lot. And actually what I do is I have a, a notepad um, on my phone uh, called New Songs. And I just write whenever I come up with an idea, I just write down notes and I've got like, what is this now? Like, I, my thing says 12 pages of notes of different songs lyrics that i've i've come up with on the fly just to make sure that i'm capturing something so when it's time to either start you know uh building songs i i can go back to it right here or i can come back at night and record a riff on my recording software real quick just to make sure i capture it if i have something in my head so that's mm-hmm. typically what i do is I'll, I'll try and find inspiration for songs through through various experiences and names that 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 seems to be a very like uh, a common thing with a lot of different musicians. Like it's it's a way that a lot of people brains work. Uh, Sozos Michael, the other musician for Jason's band uh, Planeswalker, he does. A, he's uh, like the primary songwriter and stuff. And he's just I remember when we interviewed him, he was talking about like yeah, uh, I just uh, collect everything that just like pops into my head, and then I just like work on it, like so that way I don't forget it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like that's just like a whole separate. Uh, like musician mindset that just like comes Absolutely. with the comes with the job. Then, like, is there something that you had to do to like practice to that, or is it just like one of those like brain clicks that just like fit into place? It's it's a matter of of you know not wanting to 
to to kick myself right later if i if i didn't capture something i'd rather take the five ten seconds to capture something even if it's like a fleeting idea or even if it doesn't turn out to work in the end i i'd rather capture it and i'm a personally i'm a note taker i'm a list maker um you know i've got two small kids I, my brain has been shit since my kids were born so <laughs> if i don't write it down i'm gonna forget it uh, so for, for me, like it's, if I don't write stuff down or record it quickly, um, it's, it's, it's probably not going to happen. And, and I'll tell you that the toughest part for me is I know that I'm most creative in the mornings. Uh, just my, you know, when I'm rested, my, my brain has had that time to kind of develop overnight while I'm sleeping and I wake up and I'm, I'm humming songs in my head. There were times where I will tell my wife, I need you to take both kids for a moment. I need to go downstairs for five minutes and record this guitar riff. I don't want to lose it. Um, you know, some, some musicians out there, I think this is a bit arrogant. will say if, if a riff is good enough, you'll remember it. You don't have to record it on the spot or make a note of it. I think that's, like I said, I think it's arrogant. I'd rather, you know, capture everything that I have and kind of parse through it later, mm -hmm. uh, just to make sure that I, I have all those options. Um, cause I don't, I don't think I'm a very good musician. I think I'm okay. I think I'm a okay songwriter. <laughs> um, you know, other people might think it's great or might think it sucks or whatever, but you know, I, I want to capture whatever I can to make sure that I can get the best out of what I do. And that's just a part of the process. Well, I do want to say, I think your work so far that I've listened to is fabulous. It's amazing. And I, I want to know, are you going to, at some point, like, have you, have you forgotten, have you forgotten something that you was like, Oh, this is great. And now you're going to try your best to try and remember it. But then you come out with just a tribute to that song, you know, tenacious D style. <laughs> yeah. It, what'll typically happen is, um, I will I'll iterate in the process. I'll come up, I'll, I'll think of something. I'll say, this is, I get this riff. This is a banger band. This is going to crush in this song. And as I just start to build a song, like, nah, it's actually not that good. I kind of got to, I need to do this differently, but it will become something better just because of the iterations that you go through. And that's typically right. The role of a, of maybe an album producer as a, as a band is, is writing music, right? They'll be like, Hey, do this differently, play this to try to stretch the music to, to be the best that it can. I have to be my own producer. So typically that's where, where, where my stuff comes from. I think the better stuff is when I, I, I put it down, I let it sit, I come back to it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I build it from there and that's when it really gets better. So, so we've been talking about uh, how how different moments of your musical career have uh, shaped you and stuff. But when did you start playing music? When when did that like were, were you like a younger person that was just like your parents were like here learn you're going to be playing guitar playing piano or was it like later in life it's like oh I want to try something different like where where was your music journey begun? Gotcha. So my music journey started uh, when I was about nine or 10 years old. Uh, I attended a, a sleepaway summer camp and they had, you know, music and different classes you could take and they had a guitar class. And I started to take it. Um, not really sure why, uh, but I did and, and you know, learn some chords. Um, and then when I, I came home, you know, my dad had this very, very old guitar. It only had like three strings on it and I had to play it upside down because he was a lefty or something. You know, I made uh, I made my own guitar picks out of, you know, uh, top loaders that I, I cut out with scissors and put yes. put together with tape. And we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I, I kind of felt weird asking my, my parents for a guitar. But also when I was just about nine years old is, is when I saw that, that Enter Sandman music video uh, for Metallica. And I, I lost my damn mind. I said, this is, I need to be a part of this, 
whatever it is. And I just started to get more and more into music. So uh, when I was, I don't know, say 13, I'm going to say 12 years old, maybe something like that. Um, my parents actually got me my 12 or 13. I, my parents got me my first electric guitar. Uh, it was a kind of a lower end Ibanez and a 10 watt crate amp. Um, and I, I managed to finagle a distortion pedal. And, and that was <laughs> what I call the beginning of the end. Um, is really when I started to uh, to play really heavily when I was 13. I started uh, playing self-taught most of my guitar. I took a little, a few classical guitar lessons when I was 15. Um, and then I started playing bass when I was 22 and drums when I was 23. Again, all of that has just been uh, self-taught. So, uh, you know, music has just grown. Um, and, you know, I guess you could say I started singing in that band uh, that I was in. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever sung in front of other people before. So I guess you'd say I've been singing for about 10 years now. And uh, it's just grown uh, ever since. Um, you know, having that musical outlet when you're a kid is just so powerful, right? It just, it, you can do so much with music. It can be such an outlet for you. And it really was uh, for me. Um, so guitar for 25 years now, and it all kind of went from there. I am excited. Uh, again, like kids getting into music is a big thing. Uh, I, I was I was always sad, like you know, when when our schools were talking about, oh, we're kind of back on like music funds and stuff. But uh, my son right now, I was super excited that he was excited about becoming part of all the three currents. Uh, musical extracurriculars that he could do in his in his uh, elementary school so he's in he's in chimes he's playing in orchestra he's playing cello he's learning cello and he's in choir and that like it seriously makes me feel so fucking good that he was like because we, we told him as i came in we really like you to do this but we want you to understand like this is a you thing like give it a shot and he did it last year but he liked it so he just acquired last year and he liked it so much he's like yeah i want to do everything this year now so that's when he got into orchestra and into two chimes and so like that shit just makes me giddy for kid like kids getting magic or magic learning music at at, at, a, at a young age i feel like it just it goes with you through life to to stabilize you to make you i, I don't i don't know it's just like it, it, it's it shapes who you are as a person like just playing music absolutely and and congratulations to you for you know getting getting your kid into that it's it's it really is huge and um you know they've done studies playing music activates the brain in certain ways that other things can't do and it just it opens up you know so many windows uh, in the future and, and something you truly never never forget it's just like riding a bike um you know your kid will always know how to play the cello even if it you know doesn't play for 20 years um, so that's, that's really great to hear. Uh, do you have any, do you have any plans or like, have you talked with your wife about your, your kids as they grow older? How are you going to be like getting them, uh, into, into music in a certain way? Or is there, have you talked about like that? Cause I feel like you're definitely going to be the kind of guy that'd be like, I'd really love my kids to learn to play music because I believe in music helping them so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think it's our jobs as, as parents for any parents out there to, introduce your children to a variety of experiences and see what resonates with them. Um, you know, I don't want to force my kid into piano or guitar or something just because I like it. If my kid ends up one of my kids or both my kids end up liking metal or punk, then that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll enjoy that. If my kid, you know, likes, likes pop music, then I'll, I'll try to bond over that too. Um, but just the, just the ability to play something like my, my wife uh, plays the violin 
Um, so, you know, we, we both have some musical talents and I, I really think it's, it's something that I'm looking forward to and my children are, are able to do it. And I'll tell you, I've got a, you know, this like piece of shit, $20 drum set I got on Amazon for my, for my kids to play and they love just bashing on it, you know, it's just <laughs> crashing the cymbals and hitting the drums and just knowing that, that they can play music as well. And they've got a small $5, you know, ukulele or something like that. So just knowing that they can play music uh, along with me is, is something I'm trying to, um, nurture as they grow uh a little more about about my life here because i feel like kids uh kids and music i don't know like i, I like it a lot uh casper he uh my son's name is casper he's uh he's not really into our music but he likes to listen to it a lot but we got him to experience it pretty early on and one of my favorite experiences with him was i got i took him to an actual metal concert that came through fargo a band called avatar and stuff and yep. he was sitting on my shoulders throughout the whole time he had his headphone you know uh earmuffs on and stuff to, to protect his ears and like I, I in the back of my mind i'm like hoping like moments like that it's like yeah i know he's not a metal guy he doesn't like he listens and stuff he's more of into edm so we talk about like uh marshmallow uh conjure and a couple other ones that you know like i find on spotify it's like yep. hey man i listen to this i think you'd probably like it because it's in that edm space and stuff like just having Absolutely. a conversation about music with yeah. your kid stuff uh, my right. kid my kid's uh, gonna be 11 here to to give context of how old he is so absolutely so so yeah i was about to say we listen to coco melon in my house right now so uh we'll, we'll adventure outside of it here soon <laughs> i appreciate that i'll see if i can do a punk version of the paw patrol theme song yeah my, my daughter would there. love that right now she's, yeah. well, she's paw patrols and kanto moana well i, I would, anything musical so there's the uh the really popular cover of uh, Surface Pressure from uh, from Encanto. Uh, Encanto. There we go. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I play my music for my kids in the car, and my wife has started liking more of my music. She won't go to the concerts with me, but she'll at least go, oh, I like this song. Okay. And Surface Pressure comes on, and I just hear my daughter in the background, oh, Encanto. <laughs> Daddy, this is my song. <laughs> and I'm like, right. you're right. right. This is your song, dear. But it's daddy's version. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. very cool. But I'll tell you, one of the coolest things that's happened to me along those lines is, um, you know, my daughter's three years old. You can have you know pretty legitimate conversations with a three year old, as surprising as that may sound. Um, there are times where where my daughter has asked for my music to to play on on Spotify and put it on the on the the speaker that we have, and she knows it's me, right? She can hear me singing. She knows my mm-hmm. voice. Um, and she'll say, I want, I want to listen to daddy's music. And that's just, that's so beautiful. Then I'll cry. Right. It's so beautiful. <laughs> right? I love that. I'll, I'll shed some, I'll shed some tears of joy and I'll say, holy shit, my kid wants to listen to my music. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's put it on repeat, you know? Um, so it's, it's a, it's a special thing. Like you said, when you can, you can bond over your music, uh, that, that you like, uh, with your kids. Do, do you guys as a family have like a family song yourself where it's like as soon as this comes on, you all just drop whatever the fuck you're doing and it's like you all just become professional singers and jam out to this song. Like I know we got I know we got one for our family. It's uh, called Why Worry by Set It Off. And it's just, you know, talking about why worry about like all these things like uh, uh, Akuna Makatana problems and, and stuff like that. It's like, nah, man, it's just it's why I worry. So as soon as that song comes so, on, things well, makes me sing. My my daughter came home several months ago from school and uh, they had played this song. I can't believe I'm going to get into this. We're actually going to spend time talking about this. It's a song called Aye by a very, very small time artist whose name is Nachas. 
he is a Jewish uh, singer. Uh, most of the the things that he does is for like bar mitzvahs and Jewish celebrations. And they played the song in my kid's class. And it's a catchy song. And it's a catchy chorus. So, yes, when that song comes on, if my daughter asks for it, we will all join in. We will all dance along. We will all clap. We will all sing it because I've heard it. You know, this song has been listened to on Spotify like 250,000 times. I'm sure my family's covered at least 50,000 of those. (laughs) Um, So so for us, like that's a song that will that will will drop. But but I will tell you, uh, my son has done his own. My one and a half year old son has done his own solo circle pit to Lamb of God contractor. Hell yes. And that's a badass. That's fucking kid right there. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> like, let's go in the pit to that one, dude. And he'll just spin and he'll headbang. It's like, yes, buddy. That's what I'm talking about. I get so much joy just like being on like uh, metal videos and like metal parents just like having their kids uh, showing how they're interacting with metal like uh, YouTube's videos up on front of the TV and the kids just like holding on to the coffee table and just like headbanging. I just love little kids right. and metal together. And then if you if you Absolutely. see a little kid at a metal concert, you know, it's just like a lot of times the bands are like, you know, they, they specifically stop if they're on the shoulders like, yo, kid, you're going to remember this because I'm calling you out for being a badass right now. And yeah. it's like, right. Oh. Yes. Absolutely. You just feel so hyped for that kid and just like giving kids experiences and shit like that. I don't know. Like I just I get excited for that. I get excited for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know for me and I I sent you this playlist, so you better use it when your new one comes around. But there is a band called Twinkle Twinkle Little Rockstar. Yeah, they have they have lullaby versions of anything and everything. So I made a whole playlist for my daughter when she was born. So uh, she's almost three. So she's listened to that. And our son was just born this summer. So I had to change the name of the playlist on there. So that way my daughter doesn't get possessive going, no, that's my music. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's I, right. That's and I right. go, you it's, it's both of your music now. You know, your little brother listens to it too when he's going to sleep. But now she has Cocomelon and... And all this other stuff. So she's got her own music now, and that's her baby brother's music. So, yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. That's that's awesome. It just goes to show that you know music connects everybody so much. It's, it's a G chord is a G chord, no matter where in the world you're at. A G chord is a G chord, no matter what age you're at. Mm-hmm. Resonates with and you. All you got to do is just add some distortion, and that G chord sounds better, right? <laughs> yeah, buddy. Okay, so we got we got a little off track there from some every, every uh, everything sideways questions there, but I, again, I th- this is this is how I just like have conversations and stuff. I I, sure. I like to just talk and talk. But Mox Pearl, probably one of my favorite tracks on your album, and I know you were talking about this at the beginning. Like this is based on a true story. Can you true go story. into a little more depth about it being like the, the story behind Mox Pearl? Absolutely. So so the song Mox Pearl starts off. By saying blizzard of 96 two feet of snow got us hold in so i grabbed my shovels grabbed some bros and we sent out we went out to make some dough and that is is what happened so in the dc area uh anybody who's lived in this area for a long time remembers a blizzard of 96 we had two feet of snow and it came on a sunday into a sunday night Mm-hmm. which was beautiful for us in school because there was absolutely no hybrid virtual learning in 1996. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, that shit shut down school for a week. 
So me and my buddies knew that we had an opportunity to go make some money. And don't get me wrong, we undercharged excessively <laughs> uh, for the amount of snow that we shoveled. By the end of that that week, we had each made a hundred dollars. Holy shit! In, in 1996, right? I was I was not even I wasn't even 12 years old yet. I was still 11 years old, and I this is the most money I've ever had in my life. And I'm literally in my basement, like throwing these dollar bills in the air and letting it rain down upon me. I fucking love it. And I just throw it up again, right? So I knew that I wanted something, and it was a local mall. Uh, it was about 15 minutes from our house, and I knew that they had uh, one of those kiosks in the middle of the mall that sold Magic Card singles. And I remember looking at it one day and seeing some of those, some of the Power Nine cards that I had heard about before, right? Because I started playing in '94 when Revised, when Third Edition came out. So I was playing some some dark. I played a lot of Fallen Empires, Fourth Edition, some Fifth Edition, Mirage, like that. You know, alliances. Uh, Ice Age, that sort of thing. And, you know, but I didn't get into the 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 ABU stuff. So I, I never had any of the, the Power Nine or any of those unlimited cards. And the cheapest mocks that this kiosk had was a Mox Pearl for $75. And I told my dad, this is what I want. And I gave him all the money I had. Uh, and that's that's the part of the song, right? Gave him all the cash I had, told him the card that he should grab. And uh, he went to the mall, to the kiosk, and he brought it home for me. And I had my own unlimited Mox Pearl. And as the song goes, you know, Mox Pearl from Unlimited, I really, really wanted it. I probably, you know, ended up trading it for some bullshit cards that are all now worthless. I can't believe that's how I ended it. And that is what happened. I don't remember exactly what I did with it, but I probably traded it for some, you know, Royal Assassins, Shiv and Dragon, <laughs> you know, some like great playables from back in the day. But, you know, I gave away what is now a $3,000 piece of cardboard for some junk that's worth 20 bucks. Yep. And I'm still beating myself up over it. So that is the story of the Mox Pearl song, which is entirely true. That was beautiful. We've all had those trades. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn you, Chase Bellerin. Damn you, Liliana the Veil. Mind sculptor. Absolutely. Yep. There you go. Right? You're like, oh, no, this is, I, I'll trade this card for a bunch of other. Like ones that are worth a fifth of the price. Well, I'll, I'll say this: I know mine. Go back. My, you go. My yeah. God, what a- I know mine. Like I started playing in the you know shards of Alara block, so you know the first standard set I actually went and played a tournament with was original Zendikar. So ended up buying a bunch of packs and everything of Worldwake, and for whatever reason, just got super lucky. Pulled a Jace. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Next time I went, pulled a Jace. Oh, cool. Next few times, pulled a Jace every single time. Jesus. To the point I got, wow. I had five of them. And we had a buddy, buddy in our playgroup in college that just loved blue. And at this point, I was very much on the, what we joke around with Danny, the fuck blue train. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've accepted that blue is a very vital part of magic and you need it to complete the the you, cycle of you, life and you everything. You don't need it. <laughs> so my song, The Magic Blues, really resonated with you then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, 
So we joked around with him one day. I, I made a proxy copy and put it, taped it onto a basic land, and we sent him a video of us torching it because, I, and just captioned it. Well, I don't need a fifth one. <laughs> so, but that the actual fifth copy ended up getting traded uh, to one of my best friends, and he kind of helped me build up my collection a little bit more, so I could start building more decks and everything like that. So, as much as I kick myself for that trade, at the end of the day, I sit here and go. Yeah, I got some stuff out of it. I traded another. Do you need a fifth one? But like, then I ended up doing like trading into one of our LGSs, mm. so that way I could get cash, so I could play in the pre-release event that night. So absolutely right, absolutely. And if I didn't trade away my Mox Pearl uh, for bullshit cards, you'd never have Shivan Dragons. <laughs> exactly. We'd never have this banger of a song, Mox Pearl, right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that one's definitely probably my favorite. I think my second favorite would be uh, Saturday Night Magic because that opening rift that is pure fire. So thank I, you. Um, yeah. So I've only gotten one listen through on the songs. Matt sent them over to us so we could kind of preview them a little bit before we got to sit down and talk with you. So how often do you get the Magic Blues then, Parker? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so. Here's here's the thing, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you guys here. Uh, I do play a lot of blue, and West, even West though West I wrote a song called "The Magic Blues," and the song is, you know, I don't know how to play the blues. <laughs> this is why I'm singing to you. Uh, I do play I do play a lot of blue, uh, and and the reason is is my my old my favorite old school deck I ever played that I I dismantled and I sold for uh, a number of reasons. Um, uh, was was heavy on blue. I had full power nine, and I, I time walk and time twister and ancestral nice. and all that stuff, and all, all collector's edition. Right, I'm not not really full bank rolling over here, um, but that got me into playing blue and just kind of manipulation piece of it. Um, so, but but the thing is, when I do play blue, I will sit there and go, God, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this works because, as I say in the song, like I don't even know my win condition, <laughs> but I know that counter spells are my ignition. <laughs> <laughs> right, I will find. Maybe I'll find a way to win. If I don't, I'll probably lose. So, but I, I so I get the magic blues uh, plenty of times. I was about to say with that too. You made two friends and you made a lifelong enemy. Eh, I don't know what that. Yeah. It's it's the fact that he plays blue, but like he says, he doesn't know how to play blue. It's not on Matt's level, so I'm fine with it. <laughs> Just to, you know, when I'm bringing guys over to draft, and they're like, I don't want to deal with thinking about blue. Blue's open in the draft, so I guess I'm just picking blue cards. Yeah, you're just stuck with it, but... Getting all the good blue picks. If if you were to play against Matt, I think 99% of his decks have blue, and they're blue counter magic hey, cent- hey, center. Hey, he's got a red deck. That that's does- why That's why I said 99%. I know he has one Naya deck that has no. Uh, that's a complete hog deck. Oh, no, I was going to say his new red deck, you know, it doesn't do anything blue. Oh, yeah, definitely nothing blue. Nudge, nudge. (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun one. Uh, You know, the the song Saturday Night Magic, thank you for the the compliment on that. Um, The the riff is is something that I I actually kind of built on from a song that I wrote um, on my uh, first album called burb life where i just wrote about like what it just sucks to live in the suburbs and like how i just i hate suburban parents and like i don't care about your kids names and <laughs> i don't care about your dog and i don't care about your peloton and all this stuff it's like i just i hate you people right 
<laughs> I, there, yeah. there are some good people. I was, I was, you know, hyperbolizing. Oh, a bit, of course, but, of course. Um, that, that riff, that riff built off of that one, and then, you know, the reason I I wanted to write that song is, you know, I, I've when when a lot of LGSs had problems, you know, opening during the pandemic, you know, I I found a way to to bring people over to my house. You know, we sat outside or you know when the, when the weather was good and it was just a way to get people together to, to play magic. And, you know, it was about the, the first one we did, I think was, um, I want to say it was, it was modern horizons Two, where I said, listen, it's, it's my birthday. It was June. And I said, it's my birthday. And here's the rule. Nobody buys in. You keep whatever you open. This is my gift to you. And, you know, it just set the scene for something that was really special that there was no, you know, pack per win and I got a win and I got a time limit and I got, no, we're just going to sit down and play and we're going to have a good time. We're going to drink some beers. We're going to shoot some shit. We're going to have some fun. And at the end of the night, if you want to take the cards, take them. If you want to leave them here, sure. I'll buy list them to card kingdom or, or star city games or whatever. And then I'll take that money and I'll get us another box to play with. And that's what it evolved into is a group that comes over and I provide the packs and, you know, we just try and pull the best cards we can, make some decks and send them in, get some store credit, get another box and do it again. And I just wanted to, you know, give kind of a shout out to, to my, my friends, guys and girls have had, had you know, both, both of them uh, come over um, to just have a good time and, and just enjoy ourselves, crack some packs. And like I say in the song, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm always trying to win. I don't think I will. And I usually don't. Um, but it's not about winning, right? It's about our time right here, you know, and, uh, and just like I say, cracking some packs and, and having some fun. I, oh, yeah. I, I love the mentality. I love, I love this album so much. And I really hope, uh, you, you best believe that, you know, we're going to be sharing the shit out of this, uh, when it gets released as much as we can and stuff like that. Because I feel, uh, with everything that's kind of going on in the magic sphere today, that magic players need to like take a step back and just like, oh shit. We're doing this for the love of the game and, you know, like all this other stuff that we're dealing with. Like, no, we're, go we're going, we're just playing cards. We're not worrying about uh, price point. We're not worried about uh, the co deeper context or whatever stuff behind us. Just playing magic with friends, being Absolutely. together. Right. And we're, you know, we're not worried about, you know, the, the cost of cards or we're not worried about the finance piece or what's going to spike or what's going to buy out or whatever, you know, building constructed decks. Like we just, we don't care. We're just going to open it up. And, and, you know, part of this, part of the, the, the impetus for the song was not just these guys that, that, and, and these gals that, that come over and, and play, you know, at my house, you know, once every, I don't know, six weeks or so, whatever it is that we do. But there was a time I was playing at a, a local game store here in the DC area and um, I'll get into a little bit of like magic detail here. I was playing uh, Gruel, I think it was red green, and there was um, there was an enchantment that said whenever you played a creature card, I don't remember the name of the card. You guys help me out here. Whenever you play a creature card, if it's basically unique, if it doesn't match the name of something that's on the board or in your graveyard, draw a card. And I had this card out, and I. I knew that I had only one in this draft that I did only one duplicate creature. Everything else was, was unique. So basically when I had this, this enchantment out, I was just drawing cards just instinctually. 
Mm-hmm. And I screwed up. I screwed up one time where I had a creature that was on the board, and I played it, and I drew a card, and I saw the card kind of just get close to putting my hand. I said, "Oh, sorry about that. Screwed up." And I, I you know, I, I put it back. The guy goes, "I want to call a judge." I said, "It's cool, man. Like, it's, I put it back. Like, I know what I did." He goes, "No, I'm calling a judge." So he says, "Judge, right?" The judge comes over. The guy goes, "What happened?" It's a store employee. Describe the situation. I said, "Listen, I get it. Screwed up." You know, whatever he said. Did you see the card? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I just I put it back or I can shuffle my deck, whatever. And um, the judge says, um, okay, like kind of like formalizing it. Like, here's my ruling. He goes, shuffle the card back in your deck, have the opponent cut it. And then he puts his finger in my face and he says, don't do that again. Jesus. I was like, excuse me? Let me tell you what you're not going to do. You're not going to put your finger in my face over a magic game. Yes. This is. This is a Friday night magic at a local game store. We're not at a magic fest. This is not a mythic championship. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're all here to have fun. I'm a grown ass man. Okay. You're, you're not going to put your finger in my face and tell me, don't do that again. Like I'm a child. Right. So part of this song was like, and part of the reason why we do what we do in, in Saturday night magic here at my house is we just want to have fun. Right. We don't take it too seriously. Like I said, we don't have time limits. We don't really, you know, we keep a record because I, I do have, as I said in the song, you know, the only prizes we have are pride and a blow up trophy that you can sign. And we do have a blow up trophy that people sign oh, yeah. if they're the one that goes, you know, three, and zero that night. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll give away some prizes. You know, last week I had, uh, you know, a couple uh, folks come over and um, we were doing something related to old school. So I went to a local game store down the street from where I live and I picked up a revised soul ring for, you know, six or seven bucks. And that was the prize, you know, whatever it is. So we have fun with that too, but um, it's a special night. And like you said, you know, we don't worry about the finance. We don't worry about other stuff. We just worry about having a good time. And, you know, a lot of us are parents and we're just kind of getting a little night away from the kids or our spouses or whatever, having a good time, drinking beers and and cracking packs. So, we're going to have one more question about everything sideways. Then we're going to turn it in because we talked a lot about music. Then we got to ask more about the, the magic side of everything sideways, the magic side of Parker and stuff. So my, uh, the last question that we got here for everything sideways is, is there out of all of the, the songs in uh, planeswalker punk that you kind of like you, you nurtured a little more that you loved a little more that you put a little bit more effort. Is there something like that or like, uh, what, what's what, what's like a, a key defining feature that you want to just say about Planeswalker Punk? You want the listeners to to know that to, to highlight sure. it and stuff. So, what I'll say about about the album is I really do think that there is a song for everyone who plays Magic, and that's what I try to do. I try to make a complete album that brings in all sides of it. Right, the first song. One versus three, Commander. That is about a Commander duel, right? It's, it's, you know, dropping duels and playing tutors. All the others are after you. You know, uh, build your ramp, clear that board, set your scene for the zombie horde. And, and right, that's like, that's an actual Commander. But I know there's a lot of Commander players, a lot of EDH players out there. So I figure that song's for them. Second song, that anthem, Planeswalker Punk, that's for, for, like I said, all those kids who feel down. Maybe they've been fun of, made fun of because they play magic or, like I said, ostracized because of it. The third song, Mox Pearl, that's a true story that, that maybe people can relate to about trading a card that, you know, is really valuable these days that didn't get you what, you know, y- you wanted or whatever. And it's kind of a fun look at it. The song, Everything Sideways, uh, the fourth song on the album, is about playing, like, aggro like red green you know red black green black just 
all-out attack, right? Turn everything sideways and leave the math to the chump on the other side. So there's that song for <laughs> all those players out there who just love going aggro and just love trying to beat down. The fifth song, the Magic Blues, the tough part about playing blue and like, I don't know my win condition, but I know counter spells are my ignition, right? Uh, you know, flying men and drawing cards, right? That's how it goes. Um, the sixth song, Saturday Night Magic, just about hanging out, playing magic with your friends and just having a good time because that's what magic is all about. The seventh song, Magic Fest, the mythic champ, right? I know a lot of people out there want to get to that level. They want to get to that pro tour qualifier and, and, and play in those crazy matches. So they're going to a magic fest trying to, to, to get to the second day and trying to, to, to get to that top eight, that top four, so they can get the pass to the, to the next level, um, and be that like kind of like world famous magic player. Uh, so that's why I wrote that song. And then the final song called simpler times. You know, I haven't talked about this yet. That was a song that was inspired by being at a local game store here and watching a father and about a 10-year-old kid go through some a singles binder and, and the dad helping the kid pick out cards uh, for his deck. I don't know if it was Commander, Constructed, whatever it was, but just that that bond of of being able to, to, to enjoy that with your kid uh, was something that was really special to me. And it just reminded me of when I was playing Magic when I was 10 years old. All I wanted was just a, a pack of revised or fourth edition to crack. You know, didn't have a lot of money. So what if I saved up my $3, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And I, I just thought it was something really special to watch that father and son uh, enjoy that moment together. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, dads now, you all are parents, you know, maybe thinking about your kids playing Magic someday. And like I said, I just think that song was for them. So, that's the takeaway that I want people to have about this album is there really is, I think, a song for every kind of magic player out there. Uh, and if you like punk music and you like magic, there's going to be a song for you. And I just encourage you to check it out. And like I said, if you're listening to this, I know we'll put the links down there. It's everywhere. It's on everything sideways on Bandcamp, Spotify, Amazon, Apple. Album's called Planeswalker Punk. There's got to be something for everybody out there. I can definitely agree with that. Like listening to it, I, I've jammed it so much since you uh, since you sent over the preview of it. And yeah, you, uh, my job is I'm a, I'm a garbage man, so I'm sitting in my truck uh, hauling garbage all day. So it's like I listen to music podcasts and stuff, and it's just like, yeah, I'm fucking ready, just hauling garbage and listening to Planeswalker Punk. So that that means that means more than than I can describe. I mean, I really appreciate that. That's why. That's why I do it. Like I said, I don't, I don't make money off of it. I don't have enough listeners or, you know, stuff to buy or whatever. I just, I love it when people listen to it and they get excited by it. So it means a lot. Thank you. We, we, we hope all dear listeners out there take the time to listen to it. You're, you're, I, I believe you're seriously not going to be disappointed at all with it. So thank you. Thank you. Ready to talk about some, uh, some magic stuff here. I think now. Hell yeah. So we, we got into the, we got into the win. But what got you into magic right away? So uh, when I got into magic, uh, when I was nine or 10 years old, right? 94, right when Revised came out, it was a couple kids in my neighborhood um, who had, uh, I guess, a couple packs um, who had gotten them from a, a, the very first LGS I went to was called The Game Place. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, just playing this game and, and, 
you know, scrounged up enough money to get a starter deck. And that's what you played with, right? Like we didn't build decks back in the day. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. We didn't have enough money for that. You just opened a starter deck and you played five color magic. And, uh, you know, that's when I, I like I said, started to play more and, and got into revised and fourth edition. And, and it was just something about the game that I really enjoyed, whether it was the, the fantasy piece or the, the strategy component behind it, whether it was the artwork. I mean, I remember seeing that, you know, unholy strength from revised with that burning pentagram in the back and demonic tutor. You know, some of those cards back in the day were just to show a nine year old, you'd be like, never, right? But <laughs> this is these are the cards that, that we were playing with. Um, so it just kind of built from there. And then to be honest with you, I actually got out of magic when I was in high school. And uh that was uh late nineties, you know, two thousand, two thousand one is it I kind of stopped playing probably around visions. Maybe I don't, I don't, I didn't get into the, uh, Urza block. I don't think. And I didn't start playing again until I saw a Netflix documentary on magic. Um, and I think the reason that was is because, uh, when I got engaged to my wife in August of 2016, our cruise ship left out of Seattle. And we spent a day or two uh, on the back end before we flew back here to the DC area. And there was some sort of magic fest or something that was going on. I was like the world championship or something was going on then. And I tried to walk in to just see what was going on. I was like, oh, magic. I used to play that thing. Let me let me go check it out. And security guards stopped me and they said, I'm sorry, you don't have a pass. I was like, what do you mean? Can I just go in and see what's going on? They said, no, you know, this is a closed event for that. I was like, okay, maybe magic is is bigger than I thought it was. So I came back and I found this documentary and I kind of looked at it and we lived in DC at the time. And I lived a couple blocks from a, a target. It was downtown and I, I saw they had magic cards. So the first thing that got me back into magic was, uh, one of the, uh, the starter decks for Eldritch moon where the, the cover card was Newsgraph mob. Yes. And I just, I, cause I was like, I was a zombie guy, right? I played red, black. I didn't play this blue shit or anything else, for, you know, <laughs> fuck white. And, uh, so I'm just going right, to give me this mono black deck. And I, I opened it up and I didn't, you know, I remembered how to play. And, uh, it turns out that, uh, one of my wife's friends, her husband played magic and we started to play and he introduced me to, you know, this, this game store we had in DC and he introduced me to drafting and then, um, I, I met a bunch of other people drafting and they had side drafts at their places. And that got me into some other stuff. We decided to go to the the last magic fest in the DC area before the pandemic hit was in uh, July of or June of, of uh, 2019. And I went to this magic fest and I, I picked up some old cards, some legends cards. I always loved the set legends. I thought it was the coolest thing. It was gold cards, you know, multicolored cards. And some of the iconic cards I remember, one of my favorite cards, Dacon Blackblade. So I went to this, you know, store set up that had this, this table set up and they had a deck and black blade and I, I bought it and the owner said, Hey, I own the store. Do you play old school magic? I said, I don't. So he said, why don't you come by my store sometime? And it was close enough to my house. So I checked it out and eventually got into old school magic. And that's what I did a lot during the pandemic. Um, built a really, really powerful deck and played, you know, webcam tournaments from people across the, the world. And, um, you know, it was, I had a very powerful deck, which was very cool to play. And, 
you know, decided that I was going to sell it for a number of reasons. And, and through that time, like I said, just started up the whole draft thing at my house and, you know, getting people in and meeting new people at different game stores and bringing them here. And we have a good group that rotates and, and I'm just, I'm happy to be back in magic and, and having fun, uh, you know, meeting new people and, and playing what is the most complicated and intense and most successful game that has, in my opinion, that has ever been played. That's very, that, that, the, the, the span with that, very crazy. And you made it to uh, uh, Magic Worlds in D.C. I think uh, I remember we were talking about uh, the podcast prior. We were thinking about making it to that one before the pandemic, like when we were starting uh, JB, when JB was around and stuff. That, that got mm-hmm. talked about going to that one. But um, uh, more questions about Magic. So you were talking red-black. Are those the colors that resonate the most with you in Magic? Or is there another color that's like... When you when when you think of magic, it's like this is my color. I I think black for me uh, is is always going to be just the banger, um, and and it's because you know nostalgic for me, right? My favorite card, my one of my favorite combos back in the day: Royal Assassin, Netling Imp. Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. Make that creature attack. You attack. You're dead. Right. It was as simple as that. And uh, I just in, in Lord of the Pit. I mean, that revised like Lord of the Pit was just seven seven flying trample. I don't I don't care if I have to sacrifice my creatures. This is gonna beat the shit out of you, and you can't <laughs> stop it. Try and terror this card, right? So I think black, just from a nostalgic place, has uh, a lot for me. Red, black, and just like fire and death is awesome. One of the things I love about black is the ability to use life as a resource paying life to do things um i think it's just very cool but uh so that that's if i have to go to something i'm i'm going black and uh like i said i'll I'll try and pull in some some red or some green or something if i can do it but but hey listen black blue is pretty cool too you know i won uh what was it uh demir uh when uh you know ravnica and ravnica allegiance and that stuff was going out and I, I I want a lot of F and M's playing playing that Demir that blue black stuff. So I think as long as black is there, I'm a happy player. I I am a Demir player very much at heart. It goes like blue Demir, then to Grixis is like my color expansion Excellent. there. But um, so you're a black player. Have you heard of a card called Bolus's Citadel? I have, I have, I've uh, I believe one of my pre-release packs. Uh, what that was my pre-release uh, foil was Bolus of Citadel. Yeah, the way that you're describing what you like about Black the most, I'm like, oh, Bolus of Citadel has to be like a card that just like, oh, that that you'd want in like any almost any kind of deck that you want to try to put together. Absolutely, and when I open that, you better believe I put that in the deck that I played <laughs> and I built it around it. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I feel I feel we 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 have a little tongue in cheek question here, and I'm curious of how it's actually gonna how, how you're gonna respond to it. So, what's your favorite format to play in Magic, and why is it Commander? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, my my favorite format to play is is probably old school. Um, there's just something about playing with those old cards that just brings so much joy, even if it's just such a limited format because there's so few cards. Uh, that you can play um i i really i I think limited uh you know is probably my second favorite um just because i honestly don't think i'm a very good deck builder i don't follow the meta game very much so i don't want to have to constantly build constructed decks and and with something like modern 
there's just so many cards to pick from. I just I would get totally overwhelmed. Uh, so the the limitedness of and limits of limited like drafting or sealed really makes it enjoyable for me because I know that I can put something together that I think is going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And then you know just kind of all right, it didn't work. Cool, I'll try it again next time. Um, and I think I think number three for me is is commander. Um, I have a very very strong affinity for Dungeons and Dragons, so the uh, only commander decks I have are actually the four AFR commander decks that I have modified with Baldur's Gate uh, cards um, to make just like a souped up super version of. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons in Magic, and whenever anybody comes over to play Commander, those are the four decks uh, that we play. Nice. And if I play that, I go with Prosper and I go Black Red. Yeah, Prosper is such a cool card. And play. So speaking of of Prosper and speaking of Jason um, from from the band Planeswalker, uh, I'm actually going to be on his Twitch stream, uh, Metal the Gathering, which we're calling Punk the Gathering. Don't. on uh this upcoming uh friday night um so everybody check that out where i will be playing the prosper uh deck against him as we uh discuss our love for magic and magic music that's dope yeah a little behind the scenes on that uh after after you reached out to me i'm like oh shit jason would love to fucking talk to you and so you know i checked with jason i checked with you to see if you'd be okay with that and he's like yeah, this is cool. It's not metal, but I'm down with this to expand out that way because, you know, his whole thing was like, you know, find find like metal players. And so uh, I, I guess you hold, you're going to be holding a, a trophy here of being the first non-metal person on his, his stream, though uh, the way that you, you talk like you have a very deep-rooted metal history. So needless to say, yeah, you're going to fit think we'll in. we'll be able to, to have a lot of fun together with that. And I do want to say thank you again for that introduction. I'm really looking forward to that. I don't think I'm a very good commander player. Um, I get overwhelmed pretty quickly, uh, but we're just going to have fun and, and see what happens. He'll probably beat the shit out of me, but hopefully I can steal uh, enough of his cards from the, uh, the exile function and uh, beat him with his own cards. Oh, please do please do jason it's it's always fun to play with jason and uh, a little fun thing he does on his stream just to give you a heads up is that there's this uh donation function that he has to where people if they donate a dollar he rolls a d12 and uh whatever number it lands on it just automatically the enchant like a random list of enchantments uh the effect comes into place like uh there's like painful quandary there's mana flare and stuff like that so when people donate it goes that yeah so it, it could get a little wild when people are like oh donate add this and if you roll a double so it's like 12 and then a 12 again then it uh it, it cancels it turns it off and stuff but like you can have like five enchantments going at, at the time for for okay. his, his thing. Thank you for the heads up on that. Yeah, it gets pretty wild. It gets pretty fun. I I will I will definitely say watching his stream. I have definitely been that guy that's like donated like five to ten bucks to just to keep rolling the die to make shit wild. Can I donate myself while I do it? Uh, Go ahead. To be to, to be <laughs> I honest, so. I I have done that myself, and I always do it with like a lulzy name as well. It's like totally not this week in MTG <laughs> and stuff. So. You you should call. I'll call myself Guy incognito yes oh he's gonna lose it there's one where um i had or a very you could, funny you name. could do everything morphs or everything in exile oh, so it's that yes. same kind of tongue-in-cheek like haha it's me but it's not really me i'm in yes i'm that's ex- it i'm that's excited it. for this now 
so yeah that and that's happening uh the 21st in the evening uh see correct yep yep it's gonna be uh 7 30 uh seven o'clock or 7 30 uh eastern time uh 4 4 30 um pacific time but uh yeah i'm excited to to be on uh, the metal and now punk the gathering uh twitch stream with him it's gonna be really cool uh links down for that below so you can like put it in your schedules and reminders as well uh, and so you've talked about uh some of your pet cards um of being oh i'm drawing a blank now on the, the black blade there we go dak and black blade of being like your pet card were you excited to see him get a planeswalker version then in modern horizons i thought that was cool um you know i'm not i i appreciate and i really like the nostalgia that i have at the same time i give magic and wizards of the coast and their team and I'm, I'm not i'm not kissing ass here for the sake of it they are very good marketers they are very good at coming up with new ways to get the game out to people and to keep players engaged and i guarantee you they sat there as as they were probably coming out with this lost legend stuff that they put out in, in dominaria united when they came out with, with dak and blackblade the planeswalker they probably said you know there's people who open these packs who are 40 years old now who are going to lose their minds both positively and negatively the Dak and Blackblade is now a planeswalker and and I think it's cool like for me they've got to keep adapting the game they have to keep doing new stuff and 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 pulling from the old and and coming up with new things and you know I I think it's cool whenever some of those old cards come back so the young players can look back and go Dak and Blackblade like oh that's that's pretty cool where that come from oh shit it's this card from 1994 at equal power and toughness was equal to your land number and when you dropped it back in the day it probably wasn't 11 11 and was just going to absolutely stomp everybody in the rest of the game so i i think it's cool when they do stuff like that do you do you have a favor so um i i'm gonna ask this question because uh old deck and black blade and the planeswalker deck and black blade have the same artist richard kane ferguson so i was just curious do you have a favorite like magic artist i i do um I, you know, and I, I think it's, I mean, all of those guys are, are so good, right? Those original artists, the men and women are just incredible. And I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting, uh, Anson Maddox, um, cool. getting some stuff signed by him. Uh, but I think my, I think my favorite artist is, um, is Jeff Menges. Um, he did some really iconic cards back in the day. Uh, but one of my my favorite cards of of all time is is Bazaar of Baghdad. You guys familiar with that card? Yes. Yeah. So here's here's why, right? So having been to Iraq myself, and having been to bazaars in Baghdad, that card had a, a really special place for me. And I was playing at an old school event uh, called GloryCon. It took place in Gettysburg in January of 2020, right before the pandemic shut everything down. And we got Jeff Meggies to come out there. And I remember talking with him and I had a, a copy of, of, a, of a Bazaar of, of Baghdad and I was talking with him and I said, can you tell me about how this card came about? And he said, um, you know, Jesper was the, was the art designer and this was the last card for Arabian Nights they had come up with. And he said he wanted this and he wanted to kind of evoke this type of image. And I said, can I tell you why 
this is so iconic for me and, and resonates so much. And I said, the card function of basically taking more than it gives. <laughs> Iraqis, if you're listening out there, don't kill me for this. <laughs> don't give me shit for this. It's true. When I was working diplomatic relations with the Iraqis, they always took more than they gave. <laughs> And I would ask them to say, hey, like, because I was I was working on a rotation to the State Department and we needed the Iraqi National Security Council to to do some things. And they said, well, if we do this, you know, we need you to do this. And I was like, that's a lot more than we're asking you to do. And they said, kind of said, no, you know, that's how it goes. So you have this card where for anybody who's not who doesn't know who's listening to this. It's it's a it's a it's a land has no no mana producing ability, but it's tap draw two cards and discard three cards so the card takes more than it gives and i just thought that's like that was a that summed up iraq for me and to be able to and and you know jeff was like really intrigued by the story so i i in in addition to bizarre baghdad he did you know sorts the plowshares and some of these other really iconic cards so i think i put him as uh, as as number one but uh that's only again i think based off of personal experience and uh and nostalgia that i have but i mean all those guys back in the day all those gals back in the day like um you know jesper and, and anson and mark teden and i mean christopher rush you know, lightning bolt you know everybody knows that card and will always know that card uh for christopher rush so that's i think that's that's my experience there that is a really cool story of of uh, of your experience with bizarre of of big that is is that that's really fucking sick all right, so so you don't you said that you don't really you're not the best deck builder, but when you were doing these updates to your commander decks, the precons, what was your main focus on how to update them? So did were you working on a twenty dollar budget? Were you working on I'm gonna amplify the commander as much as I can, or were you going heavy into this is D and D but in magic form? Uh, pretty, pretty much the latter. Um, it was D and D in magic form. So, uh, so what I, I also have a, I have a full, I have a queue, a 360 card cube that is all adventures in forgotten realms, all foil, all variants where they exist. So like old Gnawbone, full art variant foil, like, you know, uh, all those cards. And like I said, I, I absolutely love that set when it came out. I was like, all I want to do is roll dice and play magic at the same time. So when I saw those AFR commander decks, what was really awesome about them is they, if you remember that the AFR main set um, was just dice rolling was just D20. Yep. yep. AFR commander decks, D4, 6, 8, 12, and 20. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to just roll dice. That's all I want to do. I want to roll dice, go into dungeons, cast dragons, and play magic at the same time. And so I took the AFR commander decks and I took when, when Baldur's gate came out, I bought like, I don't know, one or two boxes of the set boosters. Uh, I think we drafted it with my friends here for one night and I just took all those cards and I said, okay, what are the best cards that I have that are on color that I can add into these decks? And that's pretty much what I did. So I replaced like, seven or eight cards from the AFR decks with, with Baldur's Gate cards. Um, and I ensured that they had um, all of those. Uh, each deck had uh, one of the uh, the new dragons. 
Um, and they're those absolute banger dragons. Um, oh my god, they're so good. You know, Ancient copper dragon, right? and like, dragon. You know, are... if this does damage, like roll a d20 and create fucking 15 treasure tokens. Like, what? Those things are a house and really fucking <laughs> I, sick. Okay. So, so those are those are added in there. I try not to take too much because the precons like are built in certain ways to be really good. So I tried to take out, you know, creature for creature, sorcery for sorcery, etc. And, uh, and go from there. The one modification I will make when I play Jason is I will be adding in uh, my my uh, revised demonic tutor that I have. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Just to toss it up a little bit. So that that was my. Do you think that's a that's a smart move for how I, I built that? I just wanted to, like I said, roll dice and cast dragons and and let shit happen on the battlefield and go into dungeons and get initiatives and that sort of thing. I mean, yeah, I, it's definitely on theme. So. Yeah. Like if that's the that's the game you're going for is you want to roll dice and you want to be playing Dungeons and Dragons but it's magic, you definitely from the sounds of it did exactly what you were aiming for. So I appreciate that. That's what I was trying for. Hell yeah. Well, I know Danny gets this question because he's the one that wrote it. Yep. Yep. So uh, I know since since you've been playing since basically since the beginning of Magic, uh, with the announcement of the Magic 30 anniversary coming out what are your thoughts on the magic 30 anniversary proxy packs oh man it, it really really interesting stuff right um when uh a buddy of mine uh texted it to me and and i have a friend i'm not gonna say his name i'm not gonna say where he lives um because it's it's pretty sensitive but he has a very 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 old collection sealed stuff mm-hmm. um stuff that when I saw it the first time almost collapsed. Like, I can't believe I'm, I'm looking at these things and you know, he, he really likes the old stuff. He has an alpha 40 deck and, and he's the one that sent me this link. Like, Hey, did you, did you guys see this? And I check out this thing. I said, Holy shit. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to do it, but they're going to do it in a way that doesn't break their promise mm-hmm. of reprinting the reserve list. Yep. And I, my first thought was, Wizards, good for y'all. You found another way to make a shitload of money yep. to bring a lot of people in. And, and, and listen, I my job, like full-time job, I run a marketing team uh, for a nonprofit in D.C., right? So I, I have that marketing mindset. And they are geniuses at this. They're geniuses at what they do. So that was my first thought. My second thought was, this is kind of shitty <laughs> for a thousand dollars, right? Like that's and and but you know the you know the the worst part about it to me. I, I think this part that really that really is is really shitty is they're doing it direct. They're mm-hmm. not going through LGSs, yep. and this is such an opportunity to remember the role that local game stores play in the Magic community. I really think they should have involved them to sell this product, sell it at a high price point. I, that's fine, right? You are the manufacturer, the, the the contracts in a sense, the deals that you have with stores to sell cards at certain price, prices, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You can mandate they sell it at $1,000, that's your choice. But to sell it direct and take that opportunity away from local game stores, I just think was really unfortunate. And and I wish they would have done that, that differently. The, the last thing I'll say is I, I appreciate that they walked the line on the reserved reprint list, right? They're not the same cards. They don't have magic backs. 
They didn't reprint the dual land, you know, concentric rectangles. You know, the 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 Lotus doesn't say adds three mana of any one color discarded after use. It, it is the new, you know, Oracle text of tap, sacrifice, you know, add three mana of any color. I appreciate that they did that. Like I said, wish they would have done it through local game stores. Do, do you think that's, uh, in, in your experience then with uh, marketing and stuff, is that going to be at uh, a significant detriment to Wizards of the Coast not involving in LGS? Or do you think that maybe this is going to be uh, the, the pushback on not involving in LGS here could potentially be heard by Wizards and be like, oh, maybe we can start doing something like this a little more with Wizards. I mean, they've done a little bit with them before of having like the... Uh, those uh, mythic, not the mythic boxes, mythic boxes or whatever. Or are you talking they, about the, 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 the secret layer ones? Yeah, the lands where they had the lands that they gave to stores. I mean, they're giving these some stores like a pack, but they're not like yeah. giving them enough to like sell the product. It's like to do with what they so, will. I, I it's right. It's really difficult, right? Because what we what we will never know are what. The, the the board members of of Hasbro or Wizards or whatever it is say that Wizards has to make numbers, mm-hmm. right? We'll never know what goes on in those discussions. All we know is that Wizards produces a game that 25 million people across the world love. And I think that they make these calculations very carefully. I think they they probably do a lot of analysis on the pros and cons. They probably do a lot of focus groups, you know, because like I said, I think these people are master marketers. And when you're marketers, the job of a marketer is to know your audience. And I think that Wizards knows their audience very well. And I think that what they're they're banking on here is they're going to make a shitload of money because the people that wanted these cards 30 years ago never had the income to do it, don't have the income to buy the real thing, and now do have the income so they can price it at $1,000. They can make money off of it. They can sell these packs for $250 because our generation, the late 30s, 40s, early 50s, has that currently, maybe, the disposable income to be able to buy those packs. So I think that it was just a calculation on their part that they could make more money. I also think that this is kind of like you know, a this too shall pass. People are going to be pissed off at Wizards for this. And the moment that the next set comes out, you know, the moment that Warhammer 40K drops, the moment that Unfinity drops, people are going to be focused on that. And they're going to play it. And then the next set and the next set and the next set. Um, I, I think that's what's sustained magic going going forward. Um, I will say on on the secret layer piece, um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, is, his name is Mark Riddick. He is a world famous heavy metal artist, um, has done some band logos for me. He's done some really famous stuff, you know, Slayer, Lamb of God. He's done stuff for Justin Bieber, Rihanna across the board. He did a secret layer drop series. He did the unfathomable brute, unfathomable brutality of basic lands. Yeah, you guys dude. remember that? Yeah. When you said That's- that, I'm like, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> okay. So. So, so, so Mark is a buddy of mine and, and he, you know, has, has told me, um, his experience with, with his, his art director at wizards and, and they really do care about these artists and want to get them involved in the game. Right. So, um, you know, they just reached out to Mark said, you're an incredible artist and, you know, we'd love for you to do some of these lands. And, and he did. And, you know, 
people love these lands. Like in my, I think if I remember looking it up, if I looked at Card Kingdom, they're the most expensive, like lands out of a secret layer that that they're selling. They, they sell for twenty or twenty five dollars a card, and you know Mark has gotten a lot of notoriety, more interest in in his work because of it. And and I give credit to Wizards for reaching out to him and getting him involved in Magic Card Design. So as much as people talk shit about Wizards for money grabs, like they they also do support LGSs and they do support local artists and things. So I try to give them a, a fair shake where it's due. I, I do. I'm, I'm going to say this: the uh, totally brutal basic lands is my favorite basic land art that they have made to date. I'm a big fan of all that. I got I got a print of their uh, party hard shred harder uh, arts of. Uh, uh, Drawing a blank. Decimate. 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 The words right there, Matt, on the top of the art. (laughs) Of Decimate, because I love that, like, style of card and seeing those brutal metal, uh, the extreme brutal basic lands. I'm like. So here's what I'm going to do for you guys. Mark, uh, when he, if you guys are interested, would you like a gift? I'm I'm bad at taking gifts, so I can't, I can't bother you for shit shit like that. Just take it as a yes. No. (laughs) Thank you. So here's what I'm going to do for you. So when Mark, uh, when when these lands came out and I found out about them, I reached out to Mark. I said, "Holy shit, man! This is this is nuts." Um, you know, I'm really proud of you. Congratulations, Mark's been a friend of mine for probably ten years now, if not longer than that. And um, he said, "Well, Parker, you don't really have a need for these." And he sent me uh, ten copies of each land, artist proofs. And I'm going to send you guys a set of those artist proofs. They're they're t- they're my draft lands. They're what I play with when I oh, when I draft. Um, so I have I don't know like ten or twelve copies or something like that. I'm gonna send you guys um, a copy of those so you you have those. Um, you put them up in your uh, in your podcast studio over there just as a, a token of my appreciation to you all. Um, I know that that Mark would really appreciate um, you know me sending them to you as well. So just make sure after this that I, I get your address and I'll I'll put them in the mail for you so you guys can have those. You're gonna make Matt cry. Yeah, probably. Probably. We'll, that we'll, shit is... Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have the local frame maker get up a frame for them. So that'd be cool. Yeah, and, and when they do that, make sure that the back of the frame is clear because you know they're artist proof, so they're just white backs. Yeah. Okay. That, that is so fucking cool that 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 you, first off that you know him and close enough to where he's like, yeah, man, I got I got you for this shit. Like that's so fucking sick. So how uh, maybe how how did that friendship come along? Like how did how did that happen? I was just curious. So uh, we actually met, um, I think it was at a concert. I think, if I remember correctly, we met at a Skeleton Witch concert. Oh, fuck. That's right. You're like, a big Skeleton Witch fan so, too, man. Yeah. Dude, I love Skeleton Witch. And I'm, it's it's funny. I keep in touch with uh, with a couple of the guys in the band too. And, and they're, 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 they got some good stuff coming out soon. It's cool to see how they've evolved. That's another conversation for another day. But okay. um, I think it was at a Skeleton Witch concert where I, I met Mark. Um, he was talking with the band. Maybe I was talking with them at the same time. And it turns out that we just kind of hit it off and, and stayed in touch um, throughout the years. And, um, you know, when I uh, when I came back from, like I said, came back from Iraq in, in 2012 and formed my my this cover this thrash metal cover band that we called death echo uh with my guys here i had mark i asked mark to do the um the band logo for it and uh he came up with some great designs and you know we paid him and um 
after that, I had him do my my logo for my other band, Truth Assassin. Um, he's done some other logos, but I mean, he he really focuses on like the underground death metal stuff. But he's done some really bigger, bigger stuff um, as his name is, has gotten more out there. So we've just stayed friends, um, you know, ever since. Um, you know, we keep each other informed. Mark is the solo musician behind uh, his his like I said, his solo project, uh, Fetid Zombie, and uh, Macabre Grave Wax. So he's he's putting out his own music. Um, so we talk about, you know, what it's like to be a solo musician, tricks, you know, recording things that that we take away. And, um, you know, I'm always interested to hear about the artwork that he's done. Uh, you know, if you guys saw that uh, Lamb of God Killswitch uh, tour that came through recently, yeah. my wife is her two, two favorite bands, uh, metal bands are Lamb of God and Killswitch. Uh, so we went up to Baltimore to see them one night. And I was really proud of, of Mark, like, you know, Mark Riddick, this artist, he had done a sweatshirt design for, for Lamb of God, uh, for their tour. So I made sure to, to spend that $75, um, on, uh, <laughs> on that sweatshirt. And, uh, it's, this is another strange story. I don't probably don't have time to get into now, but I email with, uh, with Randy Bly from, from Lamb of God every once in a while. Um, he, he's fuck. met me and my wife uh, and my family before. Um, so, uh, I, I sent him a, a note that, you know, I don't know if you know this, but my buddy Mark was the, you know, graphic artist for one of your sweatshirts. I picked it up. We saw you at the show. It was awesome. Have a great rest of your tour, you know, and kind of go from there. So, uh, happy to always support Mark. He's such an incredibly nice guy and he's, he's such a humble person, uh, just loves doing artwork. So, um, you know, anybody listening out there, check out RiddickArt.com uh, for all the stuff that Mark Riddick does. He's got those unfathomable brutality of basic lands drop series. Uh, pick up some of those cards. And um, I think he's got more cards coming out in the future. Uh, he did. The other card he did so far is old Rutstein. Yes. Um, uh, he did the variant artwork for that one. So, uh, so check that out. And I think, like I said, I think he's got other stuff that's going to come out um, at some point in the future. So, uh, so keep in touch with what he's doing that is whoa i kid you not 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 expecting that kind of a thing to come up in this interview here at all i was not <laughs> that's so fucking sick yeah. again you you are you are a person that is just fucking full of everything and i'm excited maybe maybe we can uh we could get lucky enough to get you back on and just talk more because that's one thing we didn't even ask questions about is like being a solo artist band because there's a bunch of like solo artist bands that just like put put shit out and it's just it's 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 very uh i'm very inquisitive about like the the amount of work the effort the thought and space that you got to do to to be able to do that so maybe maybe sure. we can hit you back up and just like talk about that shit guys I, I i would love to i would love to this has been an absolute blast i am so appreciative of you having me on here helping to spread spread the word about my music and it's just like i said i'm i'm very grateful so I, if you want to have me back I'd, I'd love to come back Heck, Done. I think we got to get you on and just play some webcam magic too. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Let's go. So, so we got two. Uh, we got two more things. First thing is our quicksilver questions for you, which uh, the the whole shtick of this is we just ask a question, and the first thing that comes to your mind is how you answer it, and then we move on to the next question. There's not a lot. There's six. So, uh, you ready for this? Uh, in the zone. We're, we're I have I closed my eyes. I am thinking about these quicksilver questions. I am ready. Do you pay the one? Yes. What's the most useless word? Phantasmal. Pineapple and pizza? Yes. What is the largest animal that you think you could take on in a fight? Deer. 
You discover a new type of underwater sea creature. Describe it, and what do you call it? It definitely has claws because there's not enough. And I mean, like pincer, like not pincer, like stab, like spear claws because there's not enough of those underwater. Um, it has feet. It has four eyes, but it also has fins. So it can swim and it can walk on the ground. And I will call it Spirosaurus. That works. Clip it. Let's send that information to Mark. Have him draw it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last, last question. Uh, so finish the sentence. Wake me up. Because it's time to fucking party. Sounds good. Yes. <laughs> fucking Parker. It has been a legitimate, true delight to talk to you. And I, I, I know I mentioned this earlier, but I feel like a, a, a good way, a good word uh, title to encompass you is like legitimate badass is what you are, what you exude. And I'm very honored. We are very honored to to have, have been graced by you coming onto our podcast, talking music, magic, and just dealing with us for, holy crap, two hours now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I very much appreciate that. Uh, Matt, Danny, Garrett, you guys have been great. Um, this has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm just really appreciative and grateful for the opportunity to speak about my music, you know, my book, my, my volunteering, you know, my experiences, the other stuff that I've done. I just hope that, you know, your listeners find value in this. Um, they find some enjoyment. If they check out the music, maybe they enjoy that too. And, and if they want me to come back and you all want me to come back, we can keep this conversation going. Beautiful. Uh, give us give us one final time all the socials where people can find you, uh, the dates for everything sideways, Planeswalker Punk, all that stuff. Sure. So uh, everything sideways, Magic the Gathering focused eight song punk rock album comes out October eighteenth. Uh, it comes out on my Bandcamp page, but you can stream it Spotify, Amazon, Apple, everything. Uh, if you want to engage with me on social media. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at P Shaffle. That's my last name, Shaffle. It's P S C H A F F E L. You can also search for Parker Shaffle. You'll find me uh, either way on there. Um, also on Facebook, got a YouTube page uh, as well. My website, parkershaffle.com. I got links to my blog, my book, my music stories everything that i've done so engage with me uh let's if you want to anybody out there want to chat about something want to connect let's do it i'd be happy to parker thank you so much oh, i can't i can't get it over it and uh hopefully hopefully we'll get you back on again so with that thank you, thank you so much for your time again i'm, I'm so appreciative of, of this time that you spent with me it means a lot and with that magic folk we will catch you next time see ya bye
Distracting.